Well, good morning, Christian Life Center. How are you guys doing today? You guys doing all right? As Christian said, my name is Ben. I want to say hey to everybody that is inside the building. Hello to everybody that is joining us online or in the parking lot. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, there is a couple, two things that uh, I just wanted to kind of let you know um, that Christian just did the announcement video. Um, and he's cute. He did a good job. But there's a couple things that he missed. Personally, I think the normal guy is a little bit better, but that's just my opinion. Um, I don't, don't get too excited. He is uh, working the soundboard, so he could mute me. So we got to kind of keep it contained here. Uh, the first is just specifically for those of you that are joining us online, we want to let you know that today is a communion Sunday. So if you would like to participate uh, with us in that, we would encourage you to grab some supplies now. And at the end of the service, we'll be participating in that. And then the other thing that we want to let you know is that uh, Cal, because of the storm that happened this past week, we canceled our night of worship for this week, which was probably the right decision um, as it was pretty crazy out. Uh, but we are moving that to this Wednesday. So it's kind of a start of Cal as well as this night of worship and prayer. So we're going to have a meal starting at about 530. It's $5 per person or up to $25 max per family. Uh, that'll start at 530. And then at 630, we aren't going to be having any classes, any kids programming, any youth programming, or any classes, but this week we will be doing the worship uh, and prayer night. So wanted to let you know that that is a change since we recorded those announcements um, so that you can kind of mark your calendar for that. So I, I am pretty excited. I get the opportunity to share with you, as Christian already said, uh, week 14 of the Better Series, and I'm excited to share with, with you what I feel like God has been kind of speaking to me all week and challenging and teaching me with. But before we get into that, I do want to kind of make mention of the announcement that was last week. Um, I think a lot of people were pro are probably already aware. You may have been here and you heard that, or maybe you heard it online on our website after that. Uh, but Pastor Josh does feel called to Florida, so last week he actually gave his resignation for that. This week, don't worry, he's, he's not already in Florida. He's at a wedding this weekend, so you'll see him back next weekend. He'll be finishing up our better series, um, so he's there with family. But that does kind of leave us in a place where I don't want to diminish the relational kind of aspect of this, where there is a loss and there is a grieving of Josh. But I, I truly believe that just like God has great things in store for Pastor Josh in Florida, I also believe that God has great things in store for this church, for this community, for this time. We are not done. We are not finished. We have a lot of work to do. We have an entire community that needs to hear who Jesus is. And so as a church staff, I'm pretty confident that I can speak for all of us and say, we are, we are desiring to pursue after God with everything that he has for this church and for this community. So we hope that you will continue to be here uh, and continue to be a part of what God is doing within this church and within this community. As, again, not to diminish the relational change and the difficulty that John and his family leaving brings, but to just remind you that we have work to do, that God has called his church to be the church, and we are going to pursue everything that he has for us. So uh, a couple things in that that I will say, if, if you could help us out. One, uh, I would encourage you to, to do a couple different things. If you have questions, feel free to contact Josh. You can contact him directly. Uh, you can email josh at clcfamily.church, and if you want to set up a time to meet with him, he's more than happy to do that, to talk to any of you. Um, I would also say to, to pray and to thank Josh for his time here. As he steps into a different kind of a calling and steps into a different location, change can be difficult and change can be hard. 
It's pretty interesting. It feels like things are going so well right here, yet this is the time that God has called him away. Keep him in prayer and make sure you thank him for the years of service that he's been here, for what he's done and how he's been faithful and obedient to God. The other thing that I would say, two other quick things, is one, to pray for the staff and the elders. Right now, we are kind of working through the plans of what that looks like as far as the next steps. The elders have got kind of a big, big journey on their way, as well as staff. Staff will um, be meeting with elders this week and just kind of figuring out what the, those next steps are. But we are confident of what God has called us to, and we are confident that we will pursue it to the very best of our ability. And so we're excited for that. And then the last thing that I would encourage you to do is to lean in. This is a time where we need you. As you hear, we're talking about cow and relaunching our men's, our women's, our children's, our youth. All of these different programs are relaunching, and we could use some help in that. So we would encourage you to lean in. Volunteerism is down just since COVID. That's the reality of what we live in, the world that we live in. So if you are willing and able, I would, I would encourage you to lean in and to help us out with that. And then on top of kind of the announcements that uh, the announcement of last week of Josh's departure, man, what a crazy week this has been, huh? Like there has just been so much everywhere. There's kind of globally still the events that are happening in Afghanistan. And uh, as we look at different things like the earthquake and how that still impacts Haiti. And, and then when we look at our nation, how Ida kind of impacted Louisiana on the West Coast, we've got fires raging on the East Coast. We've got flood, flooding and damage from that. And then even in our own backyards, we see the damage of the flooding and the weather and, and the impact that it had. I think on, in Megan's uh, neighborhood, there were seven houses that were condemned. And so I just feel like this has been a week where more than ever, I feel like I'm going, God, I need you to show up. I need you to move. I need you to work because in my own self, I become anxious and I can become uh, a little bit controlling and try and manage and dictate how things look and the way that they're supposed to be. But when I can pause and actually take some time to pray, then I can remember that God is in control. That he is not, while I may be surprised by some of the events that have happened this week, he is not. That he is sovereign, that he sees all, that he knows all, and that we have the opportunity to, to be in relationship with him and to trust him in all areas. So I just want to take a few moments to just pray, specifically as this has been kind of a, a whirlwind of a week. Uh, maybe that's a poor choice of words, considering kind of the tornado that touched down. I, don't, I apologize for that, but uh, let's just take some time to pray and just ask that God would just move in, in and around us. So, uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we don't take for granted the fact that we, we got up this morning, that we had the opportunity to come and, and either come in our cars, to come in person, or to just join online what you were doing and how you were moving and working. Uh, but Lord, to be honest, there's a lot of different things this past week that can cause anxiety, that can cause some stress and some angst. Um, Lord, you know the events that have unfolded globally, kind of nationally, and then even locally, Lord, how everything has just been impacted. And, and Father, I, I pray that you would just move and work in each and every single situation in a way that only you can, Father. Uh, some of these things, Lord, I don't even know what exactly to pray for. I don't know what direction to pray. I don't know what your will would be. But Father, I know that you hear our prayers, that you see us, and that you know the needs of your people long before we even ask. So Father, I pray that you would just move and that you would work, that you would have your way in each and every single one of these situations. 
Father, for home, those that have been impacted by, by the storm, Ida, Lord, I pray that you would just allow the, the restoration to be swift, and that you would provide peace and comfort to all of the families that have been impacted by the flooding, by the tornado, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would just move in a way, again, in, only, in, in a way that only you can. So, Lord, I thank you for it. I pray that in this, Lord, we would see the opportunity that you place before us. That in this difficulty, Lord God, you are still moving and you are still working. We pray that you would be with Pastor Josh as that time comes at the beginning of August, that you would just move and work within the ministry that you're calling him to in Florida. And that, Lord, you would continue to pour out your spirit on this church. Lord, we thank you that you are not done, that you still have things for us to do, that your gospel still needs to go out in this community. And Lord, would you use us in that way? Lord, I thank you for it. I pray that the words that I speak today wouldn't be my words, but you would just speak to us and that you would just challenge us to hear what it is exactly you desire for us to hear. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for being here, especially on this Labor Day weekend. Excuse me, if you tuned in for the uh, 10 before, uh, I'm not really sure what we celebrate Labor Day weekend. It's like the fact that we all labor or people labor. It's kind of a weird one, but shoot, I'll take it. It's a day off. I'll take it. So uh, we're pretty excited for that. Um, Like I said, we are in week 14 of the Better series, and kind of the tagline of this series was, when life hands you choices, choose better. And so what we've been doing is we've been working through the Gospel of Luke for almost, it's been over a year at this point, and this better series is kind of a sub-series of that bigger one, where we are trying to pull out a couple different options of what we see Jesus in his life, in his teaching, and in his ministry of two kind of different things, or maybe more than two, but some things that we get to choose one or the other. And today, as you kind of see from the the sign behind me, what I hope to do is to challenge and encourage you today to choose people over pride. And we're going to kind of get into that. And I'm pretty excited to kind of take it verse by verse. And uh, one of the things I recognize is that I feel like some of the greatest communicators that I listen to do a really good job of kind of teasing out a point and then kind of hitting like this, this combo where they like just kind of give you the, the, the kind of the bottom line or the, the two-piece combo and it like impacts really well and they can tease it out really successfully. And to be honest, I don't feel like I am that type of communicator. In fact, I'm not sure if I even want to be. I recognize that when I communicate, what I like to do is kind of get all of the cards on the table and then just try and dis- like talk through it little by little and kind of chop it up as we go through it, kind of look at it, examine it, um, because I'm excited about what God is usually teaching me in that. So today, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to kind of go verse by verse through Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 21. But before I do that, I actually want to read this passage in its entirety. So I want to read it in its entirety, and then I've got a couple questions that I'm going to ask, but they're more rhetorical, okay? So don't get nervous if you're in, indoors. Like, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands. This is probably where you're, if you're online, you're like, man, good. I, I, even if he was raising hands, I wouldn't have to worry about that. Or in the parking lot, you're like, good. That's why I don't go inside, because I don't have to answer any silly questions. But like, I've got some questions for you just as we read this this passage, what I want you to try and answer is, what do you think it is that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us in this passage? Why is it that Luke penned these words over 2,000 years ago? Why is it that, that this text makes it into the biblical scripture, into the canon of scripture, if you will? 
And so as we do that, that is kind of the, the question that I want to ask you. What do you see? What are you hearing? What, what do you think the lesson in, is in that? Again, rhetorical, you won't have to answer. Um, I'm doing this because I'm curious if maybe some of you experienced the same thing that I did when I read this. So let's just go ahead and jump into this. So again, going to read all of it, and then we'll go back verse by verse. So Luke 13, verse 10 says this. It says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, uh, indignant, uh, sorry, I'm losing my place, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whose Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Verse 18 says this. It says, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like the leaven uh, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So there it is. That is the passage that we're going to be kind of taking a deeper look into. But as I read it, or even now, as you're starting to think, I want you to just take a moment, and what do you think it is that God is challenging us or teaching us in this passage? What do you think that he wants to reveal to us? Again, why do you think Luke penned these words? What, what is the point of what he's trying to get at? I feel like as I sat down to prepare for this message, uh, that is kind of one of the things that I do. I'll try and sit down and read a passage and just kind of see what pops out right away to me. And I'll be honest, for this one, what popped out right away was not where we're going to be heading today. What popped out right away was, for me, kind of this mic drop moment, right? Like, where Jesus kind of shows his adversaries or his opponents, like, he tells them, and it's like, yeah, uh, Jesus just had that mic drop moment, like, yeah, that's it. Like, that's kind of what stood out to me. But in that, what I feel like I missed was the first couple verses where it talked about this woman. I feel like in this, man, there's something there that really is the purpose and the reason why Jesus came to this earth and he brought the kingdom of God with him. That his ministry actually started that kingdom work, something that was, would start off as something so small and grow into something so large. And for me, as I first through this, man, that was something that I missed. I, I just kind of ignored this, this passage where it talks about the woman. There are kind of like three quick verses. Her name's not even mentioned in it. He's, she's just woman. Like even Luke, as he writes this, it just kind of seems like he's, he's kind of telling the facts and then moving on and kind of focusing on that second half of what happens in that passage. At least to me, that's how I read it. But I think we have to pause and think through, through what is actually happening here. The question was, is did you see this woman? 
as you were thinking through what is the passage talking about, what is the point that Jesus is trying to make, my question or my curiosity is how many, maybe like me, maybe missed that first part or just maybe not even missed it, but just subconsciously kind of dismissed it, right? Like if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that Jesus heals, right? Like we see stories, we see and hear these, these messages that are preached. We know that this is something that Jesus does. And so the longer you're in church, the easier it might be to just kind of dismiss that. Yep, that's just something Jesus does. He heals. It's pretty awesome, pretty cool. He heals, moving on. It's easy to read it and just think this was an, just some woman that had this illness that just kind of, Jesus healed her, got it, moving on. But I think the longer we've been in church, like I said, the more we, we read and hear the miracles of Jesus, the easier it is to become desensitized to the impact of a moment like this where Jesus restores. And, and really, that's what I hope to challenge us with today, is that we would choose people over pride. And we're going to get to that in, in just a second. But as we talk through this, it's that better choice. How do we choose people over pride? How do we choose to look at people the way that Christ did, with compassion and, and with love and concern and care, rather than choosing our own pride or our own policy or our own self. See, I think what's interesting, and we're going to work through this as we get through it, is that I don't think that the Pharisee would have recognized his pride in this, right, or the leader of the synagogue. I think that he would have looked at it and said, no, 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 this is about the rules. The policy says, and we're trying to be a, a good followers of Jesus, and the policy says that you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath because that's work. And hopefully what you see is the same thing that I, I truly believe is that he was operating there in pride. It's alarming to me that as we look at our choices, like as, as we pull out two choices each week, they're pretty black and white, right? Like, I don't think anybody sitting in the room at home or in the parking lot is looking at these two words and they're going, pride. That's what Ben's going to encourage me to, to think about and to do, right? As we pull this out, that's pretty black and white. Everybody in this room knows that we're going to be talking about people. The encouragement is to go towards people and away from pride. It's black and white, but the reality is as we live life, Life happens a lot quicker than the moment where we get to choose two options on a board, right? It happens a lot faster, and usually the decisions and the choices that we make, a lot of the times they're filled with emotion. They're filled with concerns or stress or anxiety. There's a lot of different factors that play into those decisions. And I think that we just need to be aware that if we are left to kind of make our own decision— in, in the moment, for me, nine times out of ten, if it's just kind of a spur, quick in the moment, without really inviting Jesus into it, I'm going to make the wrong choice. That's pretty alarming to me. I've been saved for, for years. I, I came to Christ for real when I was 15 or 16 years old, so it's over 20 years that I've been saved. I'm a professional Christian, meaning I get paid to work for a church, like, and I still... Nine times out of ten, if I do not take time to pause and to reflect on who God is and what he's called me to do, I will make the wrong choice. So how do we live into the kingdom? And I think part of, a big part of that is renewing our mind and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. But uh, I want to kind of jump through this verse by verse, and we'll kind of hit the end uh, towards the, uh, um, we'll work our way towards that end uh, of this passage. So here we go, Luke chapter 10. 
verses 13, it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. This was a pretty normal thing that happened in the time and the life of Jesus. So Jesus is kind of, one pastor called it his road trip. Jesus is kind of on his way, doing ministry on the road, traveling from place to place, taking his time, and ultimately working his way to Jerusalem, where he would suffer and die on a cross. And so in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is in this small town. It's really not mentioned where it is, but he's in this small town. It's a Sabbath. He sees a synagogue, and he's invited to speak there in the synagogue. That was a pretty normal occurrence. The synagogue leaders and rulers would encourage and invite people to come in and share. We've seen that Jesus has done this already in the book of Luke. And so this is what's happening. Jesus is coming. He's traveling his way. He's going to church or the synagogue. And the synagogue is very much patterned, or I should say, the church is very much patterned after what the synagogue was in Jesus's time. So people would come to the synagogue on their day of rest. For them, it was Saturday rather than us. We do it on Sunday. So they would come to the, to the church, to the place of worship, and they would be coming because they would hear, want to hear the Bible, to pray, to hear some teaching, and to sing songs. Very similar to what we do in church today. So in 2,000 years, really hasn't changed all that much. And so the synagogue ruler or this official, he is basically the local pastor. He has got a responsibility to kind of care for the building, to care for uh, the order of worship, if you will. He is literally kind of me. He, he is a pastor. That is his job. He is supposed to make sure that things are, are set up. Uh, uh, sorry, I lost place here. Um, it says the synagogue ruler was essentially the chief elder or the overseer presiding over the local synagogue or church. He was appointed by elders to look after the building, its content, and the arrangement of worship. It was his duty to select the readers or teachers in the synagogue to determine the discourses of the public speakers and to see all things that were done with decency and in accordance with ancestral usage. In many ways, like I said, he was like me. He was a pastor. So continuing on, it says, And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So Jesus is preaching and teaching, and he sees this woman who is bent over. He sees this woman who has what is called a disabling spirit. This is, this is honestly a little bit confusing for me because this is not just something that is physical in nature. Luke, who's writing this, is a trained doctor. He's a physician. So as he writes this, he intentionally put the word that there was a disabling spirit. He believes in medicine, so he is, if it was just a physical ailment, I'm pretty sure and pretty confident that he would just write it in such a way that you would see and understand that it was a physical ailment. But he says a disabling spirit, meaning that there was something connected to it that was spiritual in nature. I don't fully understand what that is, but what I would argue and what I think is that what is happening is that Luke is writing this to Theophilus, right? Theophilus is this, uh, and this is the book of Luke as a whole. You can find it in Luke chapter 1. He's writing to Theophilus to encourage him the things that he has been taught, to, to, um, to have a, a, a clear... Well, let me see. Let me get this right. Um, to have... Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on this word, um, to be clear, to understand, to grasp, sorry, this is a fun communication when you can't remember a word, um, to grasp basically the teaching, to, have, uh, to understand what Jesus actually did. So he's writing this book as proof, as evidence of the fact that the kingdom of God had come and that everything Theophilus had learned was true. 
So he is writing this book in such a way that he's writing the account and he puts a disabling spirit in there. And this gets back to the very heart. When Jesus came on this earth, it was the arrival of the kingdom of God here on this earth. The kingdom of God had come through the birth of Jesus Christ. And ultimately it would continue, the work would continue as he dies. And as his, his believers then begin to share the gospel, the gospel spreads. And it grows and grows and grows to the point to where we are today. 2,000 years later, where we're gathered on a Sunday to worship and to glorify God. And so this is the start of the kingdom. The kingdom of God had come. And Luke is writing in such a way that he would understand that this battle kind of taking place between Satan and Jesus, which it isn't really a battle because that implies that there's actually a back and forth. Jesus just conquers Satan. So this battle that is happening is the kingdom of God came to establish. uh, Let me read it the way that I wrote it. I, I just put this. I said, Christ had come to establish his kingdom and was now showing the diminishing authority of Satan as the kingdom of God advanced. So there's this struggle where this, this physical ailment isn't just physical, it's something spiritual. There's something connected to that. And I don't fully understand or get that. But that Greek word, here, word there for disabling means uh, weakness or frailty. It refers to an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do. It focuses on the handicaps that go with the weakness and expresses the weakness of the weakening influences of the illness or a particular problem, especially as someone becomes wrongly or overly dependent. So this is something that prevented her for 18 years of living how she wanted to live. It was something that caused her to be dependent on other people. Something that she couldn't just kind of dismiss, but it was an ailment that she lived with every single day. I want you to kind of see this woman. I want you to kind of understand that for 18 years, she hasn't been able to stand upright. She hasn't been able to walk very well, probably at all. Forget forget running or dancing. This woman is bent over, kind of in a bowed position. She's hunched over. And for 18 years, this is the way that she lives her life. What's pretty amazing is that she's here on on a Sabbath day. So on some level, she's coming to church, right? She's, she's coming to church. She's, she's kind of participating in that. So it's pretty encouraging to see, here's this woman that's just coming to church. And what's also interesting is that what we see is that Jesus sees her. Some of the miracles and some of the, the things that we've talked about where, is where a woman saw Jesus and she presses through the crowd to get to him because she thought if she could just touch the hem of his garment, he, she could be healed. We've seen the four friends lower their paralyzed friend through the roof. This is not one of those situations. This is a situation where Jesus sees her. And so this woman has chronic pain. She hasn't been able to look anyone in the eye probably for the last 18 years. She is suffering with chronic pain. As a, as a teenager, my brother was a roofer, and uh, one summer he actually slid off of a roof Uh, a two-story roof and broke his back. And I remember that season being so kind of nervous around my brother. By God's grace, made a complete healing, uh, complete restoration, completely like good uh, to this day. But man, that season was a pretty panicked season within my household. He had to wear this shell that kind of covered his entire body. We called him the turtle because it looked like a turtle shell, um, except he couldn't get into it, whatever. And so as we 
as, as I think through what this woman was experiencing, my mind kind of goes back to that moment where my brother was, was in a place where it was, it was nerve-wracking for a while. The initial thoughts were going, is my brother ever going to be able to walk again? Like, he, he's broken his back. And I, I can't tell you the specifics or the details of it. But man, as a teenager, it was pretty terrifying. And here's this woman that for 18 years of her life has lived in chronic pain. And so continuing on with this, in, in verse 12, it says, When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. I think that's so beautiful there, just the fact that Jesus saw her. Because to be honest, as I worked through this, the first time I read through this, I didn't see her. As I worked through this, my mind again went to this mic drop moment where Jesus kind of laid into the, to the ruler of the synagogue and he told him and, and then he went on to talk about some uh, mustard seed and leavened bread. I, I, okay, that's weird, but I missed her, but Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. That Greek word there for see means to see, perceive, and to attend to. It often carries a physical uh, um, uh, a metaphorical meaning of to see with the mind. An example of that is to uh, see or to perceive with an inward spiritual perception. So Jesus sees this woman who's been in pain for 18 years, who has struggled for 18 years, who's had challenges and hardships that hasn't been able to do what she wants to do and had to rely on other people to help her to do things. Jesus sees her. He sees physically and spiritually. He perceives a need, and he brings healing and restoration to her. Verse 13 says, And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Jesus adds physical touch here, and one of the things that we've talked about is that in that day and in that time, it would have been odd for a teacher especially to actually touch a woman because of the, the laws that were in uh, Leviticus. There were certain laws that if you came into contact with someone or something that was bleeding, you would become unclean. So teachers in that day would just avoid all women because they didn't want to become unclean. And so Jesus here touches not anything inappropriately, obviously, but Jesus here kind of is communicating through physical touch, care, and love, and concern. Jesus sees her. He perceives the spiritual and physical need, and he meets that need. In the exact moment she's healed, she stands up straight for the first time in 18 years. And, and as I re-kind of looked at this passage again and again, imagine the impact of what that moment was like for this woman. For her, it was just a normal day. A normal day kind of dealing with her disability, a normal day kind of going to church, and then all of a sudden her entire life has changed because she has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus sees her, he perceives the need, and he heals her. And she begins to rejoice. And I think that this woman was coming to church, but now she had church. You know what I'm saying? Like, she is praising. What would you do if for 18 years you had a physical ailment that caused chronic pain, and all of a sudden, in one moment, you were healed? This woman praises and worships. That word glorified there means to ascribe weight by recognizing real substance or value. This woman worshiped Jesus. And that, that story would be really cool if we kind of stopped right there, right? Like, if that passage ended there, we can kind of celebrate, go, man, God sees people, and now we're moving on. But this is where I, my attention is kind of drawn to other things, where we look at the rest of this passage. 
This is where the, the ruler or the leader of the synagogue is kind of introduced, and it's because of his response that really kind of makes me at least take my eyes off of what Jesus just did and focuses on this teaching and this kind of the hypocrisy of this, this leader. And so continuing on, it says, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. It's interesting, if you look up in a modern dictionary what indignant means, it means, uh, right here it says this, uh, meaning anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unjust or unworthy. It's kind of interesting that this man who sees this miracle happen right in front of him, using a modern understanding of that word, goes, that's unjust or unworthy. Kind of seems like priorities are a little bit out of place there, right? Kind of seems like he's not operating in, in, in a sense where he's caring for people, but he's caring more about the rules and the policy and the regulation, and he's concerned, ultimately, it, it fits under the category of pride, but he doesn't see it as such. And so here's this religious man. He doesn't see what's happened right in front of him. Either he doesn't care about this woman, or he just refuses to acknowledge it, wrapped up in pride. Why doesn't he see? Why doesn't he care? He's more focused on the policy, the rules. And so uh, understanding the Old Testament rules, the Sabbath was supposed to be a day that they were, that was kept holy. And, and really, God gave the Sabbath to the Israelites so that they would be able to rest. It's kind of patterned after Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates all things, and then he rests. He sees that it was good, and he rests. And so Jesus, or God kind of ordains the Sabbath, not so that there can be all these burdens and these rules and these regulations, but he ordains the Sabbath for men, for us, to be able to rest. And even in our resting, we can recognize and understand that God is still in control. And so what is, supposed to be, uh, what is supposed to be kind of this, uh, what is supposed to be this rest and understanding of who God is and, and resting and, and taking time away to just kind of not work now becomes a burden for the people because it's more rules and regulations to follow. And what the Pharisees did and what the, the synagogue rulers and what these religious folk would do is they would add rules on top of the rules and then rules on top of those rules and then rules on top of the rules on top of the rules. And so it just became this burden. The Sabbath was a gift that God gave. Uh, the Sabbath became a burden and not a blessing. And what's pretty fun, as you look at this passage, there's 39 different, like, specific activities that uh, Jews were not allowed to do on that day. And as you look through that list, it's kind of hard to actually recognize which of those 39 rules Jesus actually broke. Because there's nothing really specific. All Jesus really did was he spoke to a woman and he touched her. That's all that he did. And the leader of the synagogue gets upset at that. It's also interesting to me that uh, the leader of the, the synagogue doesn't actually address Jesus in this passage. He doesn't actually say, hey, Jesus, uh, I got a question for you. Like, I wonder what that, this passage would look like if it was more of a humility and kind of going to Jesus either publicly or maybe later privately and just asking a question. Instead, he chooses to talk directly to the people, to put this burden on the people rather than having a disagreement and actually speaking to Jesus himself. So continuing on, verses 15 and 16, it says, Then the Lord said to him, You hypocrites! 
Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey by, uh, from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whose Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Jesus pointed out the inconsistency and the lack of compassion of his Jewish opponents. See, it was pretty normal and common. Uh, Leading one's animals to water on the Sabbath was common and accepted practice. Even though technically it counted as working on the Sabbath, the day of rest, it was accepted. So why should not Jesus be allowed to heal on the Sabbath? Isn't this human being at least as valuable as a farm animal? And really, that's ultimately what Jesus was exposing, is that this leader of the synagogue, the religious people of that time, cared more about livestock than they did about people. Their pride didn't allow them to see them the way that Christ did with compassion and love and care and concern. So it's kind of like, seriously, this woman can't be set free, but you can lead your your livestock, your ox, your cattle to, to water, but this woman can't be set free. 17 says this, And as they said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. His adversaries, literally that that word means one who lies in opposition. They were put to shame. Um, But what's interesting is that you don't see any acknowledgement of wrong, any confession of sin, or asking of a pardon from Jesus. What you see is humility, not humility, but what you see is pride. They chose pride over people. And, and the people here praise, praise God for the things that they had seen. Why? Because Jesus came to heal this woman, but also in healing this woman, there's an announcement that the kingdom of heaven had come. The kingdom of God had come to earth, and his kingdom was not like the rule and the burden that they were under. They now could experience the freedom that Jesus actually was offering to his people. So they celebrate, not just the fact, uh, I don't know, maybe they were even celebrating the fact that this man got put in in his place. Uh, But more so than that, they were celebrating and understanding that the kingdom of God had come. The act of praising God was the proper response of the work of Jesus. It showed that people were understanding his mission. Really, the main point in what I'm talking about today is that I'm trying to drive home this point that we need to be people that choose people rather than pride. And I think the reality is, is that when we, when we see pride, we may not see pride. It, it may come out in other things where we choose ourselves or we choose policy over people. But ultimately, well, I want to boil that down to say that's pride when we choose others over ourselves. That's really what the kingdom of God came to do, is to came to set people free. Jesus came so that those that couldn't make themselves upright would be made upright. That is the purpose and the reason why the kingdom of God came. This indignation that the religious had was not so much about the Sabbath violation as the glorification of Christ. The major issue is not the debate over the activity on a Sabbath, but what stands behind it. While they shrouded their anger kind of in the form of going, well, he shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. It wasn't really about that. It was about their pride. And to live into the kingdom of God, we have to be people that choose people over pride or policy or self. We must live with compassion and love. Jesus saw this woman and was moved to compassion to act. I wonder if any of the religious folk even saw her. 
And again, this is kind of why I asked you in the beginning, what do you think that God is speaking in this? Because if I'm being honest, as I first read through this, I didn't see her. I quickly moved on to this mic drop moment and, and okay, Jesus is talking about this, uh, this mustard seed, then it grows, and we're going to get to that in just, in just a moment. I didn't see her either. And I think that we all need to kind of pause and recognize that there's people around us that we can become desensitized to the fact that they are in physical and spiritual needs. We have to look with eyes that, that belong to the Father and that we are willing and obedient to do what he's called us to do, to see those around us that are in need of help, both spiritually and physically. Don't allow yourself to become desensitized to, to what's going on around us. This past week would probably be a great example of that. If you knew somebody that needed something, if you could do it, man, the challenge is to do it, to jump in, to get involved. It's easy to just kind of rest and go, well, that's just kind of their plight. That's what they've got going on. I mean, my life is just kind of different. I've got this going on. And, but be focused on others. Be focused on people. Choose people over pride. And continuing on with this, the, the last four verses that we'll kind of look at, uh, and I'm probably going to be wrapping up here in the next few moments, it's, it's Luke 13, 18 through 21. And, and at first, these verses kind of seem out of place, right? Like, as we read this story, I feel like, okay, Jesus, I get, I think, what you're teaching here. It's really to focus on people. But then there's these four verses, and it kind of confuses things a little bit as we read through it. So it seems like they're unrelated, but I truly believe that they are connected. It says this, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all the, the point that Jesus is making in these two parables, the same parable is that the kingdom of God is something that starts off really small and grows and grows and grows to become something huge and magnificent. Kind of the, the picture of the mustard seed. Uh, I think it's 20,000 or close to 20,000 mustard seeds together would equal almost an ounce. They're tiny little things, but they grow into these large trees or shrubs where birds of the air can, can nest in them. I think they can, in one season, they can potentially grow between 10 to 15 feet. So this small thing that is insignificant, seems like, and is small, grows into something that is so much larger. The arrival, ministry, miracles, life and death, and work of Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. Jesus' arrival contains the promise that God's work would come to glorious fulfillment, no matter how small its beginnings seemed to be. Uh, this is something that I, I read in one of my studies. It says this. It says, The parable of the mustard seed and the leaven illustrates the small beginnings of God's kingdom and its development through the ages. It is, it is uh, though its start is so small and so simple, Jesus and a small group of misfit committed disciples, the visible kingdom did spread through all the ages. And it's, I think that this is twofold. I think that this is in general, it is talking about the kingdom of God starting small and growing big. But I really do believe that this is connected to people. Because if you think about it, why did the kingdom of God come? Why did God establish his kingdom? He didn't just establish his kingdom so that he could prove he had the best kingdom around. 
He didn't just show up because, well, everybody else has got kingdoms. I'll make one too. No, he established his kingdom. Why? So that we, his people, could experience him, that we could experience true life, that we could be saved, that we could, again, be made upright. This woman is a picture kind of of all of us in the sense that we in our own self don't have the ability to stand upright before a perfect and holy God. But Jesus came to allow us to make us be able to for him. Jesus allows us to stand upright and be made right before him. And that's a picture of what this, this parable is talking about. It starts small and it grows and it starts small in people and grows and grows and grows. I kind of already asked this question, but think about it. Why did Christ come to establish his kingdom? Why did the kingdom of heaven come? It was for our benefit. It was to set us upright and free. Christ came for you and for me. He came for this woman who was doubled over. He came to redeem his people. The gospel plants small seeds in people's hearts. And if that seed falls on good soil, it grows into something marvelous and incredible. It produces a crop. This is the parable of of the soil, which we looked at in in Luke chapter 8, verses 15 specifically. It's why we do what we do here at the Christian Life Center. It's why we do movie nights. It's why we believe in making our building and our facility be a place where we can do things like disc golf and movie nights and, and do things where the community can have an opportunity to come in and to celebrate, not Christ right away, hopefully that's maybe the goal, but, but they get the opportunity to just come and be loved on. And so we have a, a vision, we have a calling, we have a mission to pursue people. Why? Because that's the reason why Christ came. He came to establish his kingdom on earth in people, and it starts small and it grows big. So my hope and my desire is that you, in your pursuit of Christ, that even though you may look at your life and say, my faith is so small right now, you would continue to pursue Christ and it would continue to grow and grow and grow. And that one day you would look back on your life and say, though it started small, I thank God for what it's grown into. That is the challenge for us today. Think about this woman from just a moment. For 18 years, she was disabled. She wasn't, wasn't able to do what she wanted. She needed to rely on other people to help her. Think about the testimony that this woman now has. Her life was changed. Imagine the impact on her life, but not just her life. Imagine the impact on her family's life. Now, all of a sudden, she can do what she couldn't do before. Man, that communicates volumes to this person, to the, to the people around her, her family. Imagine the impact that it has on the community who for 18 years saw her struggle and walked through the market and walked to synagogue and to walk here and there, but now all of a sudden they see that she's healed. The impact that it makes on people, and we get that opportunity. Jesus loves this woman and wants to heal and restore her, just like he does for us and all people. He desires to make us upright and whole. We can choose pride, or if we want to live into the kingdom of God, we should choose people Uh, We should choose to be people who see people the way that God does. If we do, we will see the kingdom of God grow from something small in our lives to something magnificent. And so one of the ways that we are invited to be in communion with Christ is to actually partake of communion. And today, that is something that we want to do. And I would challenge and encourage you to prepare for that. If you are at home and you want to grab your stuff, you can do that. But we get the opportunity to be in relationship and communion with Christ. So I'm going to call Gary up, who is going to kind of lead us in that time of communion.
Thanks, Ben. So Jesus sees you and knows you and invites you into this time. And, and in inviting us into this time actually invites us into a kind of holy mystery. Because one of the things that we see, actually, as we think about the sacrament of communion, is that it's, um, we're actually invited into a time when God miraculously appears, where God actually walks with us, um, is with us, um, and continues to help us to grow. So I want to encourage you in that. Um, it's a good time to come to the table, and when we do, to have a time to um, reflect and even empty ourselves um, it's a good time to be able to say we are people who stand in need of a Savior, uh, that Jesus, through this time of communion, is actually our Lord, um, that we believe that he died and that he rose again, and that we're God's people by God's love and grace. But today, most of all, I want you to realize again that Jesus sees you, that he is here with you, that he is the one who wants to lead us in this. So I remind you of the story. It's a story in which we remember who we are, but we also remember who it is that God is as well. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ was up in the upper room with his friends, and he took bread and he gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it, um, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'd invite you to take the bread and to eat it together. Lord, we do this in remembrance of you. And then in the same way, after they had eaten the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is poured out in my blood. Whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So would you take your cup and let's together drink and be thankful to God for God's sacrifice. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, um, we are grateful for you. And as we take you in, we ask you that you would change us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, have your way in us, fall on us, fill us, gift us, Help us to love you and each other. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I this week want to challenge and encourage you to slow down, to pause, and to see people, to perceive their spiritual and physical needs, um, and to do that the way that Christ did with love and compassion. And if you do, if you can do that, then you will be amazed to see how the kingdom of God grows in us, around us, and in others. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for each and every single person that is joining us. Lord, I pray that you would go before us, that you would lead people, people into our lives, that we can see the need and that we can respond to it. Lord, I pray that we would be people that choose people over pride. Lord, thank you for this time. Allow us to go uh, safely and return next week, Lord, to be challenged by your word once again. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, everyone. Child